Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right, we're continuing. Thanks for those who are on YouTube. Welcome. And we're continuing our little series that we do within the summer called Heart Summer Topics. And I was asked about angels and their ministry. And it's not my, uh, my forte, I guess, but I uh, did some reading and, and um, prayer over the subject. And maybe some of the things that I bring out will be helpful to you. Now, when we get into the angelic um, uh, in the spiritual hierarchy and sometimes what is called the spirit realm, I prefer to call it the heavenly places. Um, some weird stuff has come along, flaky stuff sometimes in the charismatic movement. But the thing we can be appreciative about the charismatic movement is that it re- has reminded us that there is a supernatural battle and there's a supernatural war and we're not the only ones involved. Okay. We know from Scripture that there are heavenly beings or spiritual beings that exist. There are those who, uh, uh, there's this uh, new book out called Unseen Realm by a teacher named Michael Heisner. You may have heard of him. He is the official theologian for Logos Bible Software, okay, or Faith Life, if those of you are working on Proclaim in the back, uh, same, uh, same organization. He's written a book called The Unseen Realm. And he's brought to light scriptures that often we saw dust connected, that there is a heavenly council that actually is. You see it in Job, you see it uh, in Kings, you see it mentioned in uh, uh, Psalm 82, this heavenly council that seems to be advising the Lord and the Lord sends on tasks. And some of these council members have rebelled and they, these spiritual beings, have then tried to lead nations, according to Deuteronomy, into warfare against and rebellion against the Lord. So this teaching has gotten real, um, a lot of interest. Some of the things I read the book, some of the things I thought were insightful, some of the things I thought maybe stretched his point just a little bit or stretched the connection just a little bit. But the thing that we can appreciate about the charismatic movement and about people like Heisner is they're trying to remind us there's something larger going on around us than just our lives. And there are... um, there's spiritual warfare taking place between angelic and demonic forces that can participate or affect events on earth. Okay, But it's not something we have to be afraid of. It's something we look to the Lord to, and he gives us wisdom in prayer. Now, uh, the only time I can say, honestly, that I can remember in my uh, Christian life uh, uh, seeing an angel or seeing angels was at... Um, Bishop Holloway, John Holloway, you remember him, Bishop over Georgia in the Charismatic Episcopal Church. He was consecrated. Um, a Methodist, large Methodist church allowed us to use their building, and every bishop at the time in the CEC uh, attended. And AU, they were, there was an altar like this, and they were all surrounding in a semicircle around the altar. And uh, each one had a chaplain and a deacon who were serving them. And uh, I remember I was helping um, Bishop Zampino. I was Bishop Zampino's chaplain in that and stood behind the altar with the others. And I can remember praying and worshiping and looking up and behind every single bishop, I saw an angel appear for like two or three seconds. And to me, it just it was like a sense of as if the service had been caught up into the heavenlies. And uh, it was a powerful image for me and gave me confidence that the Lord was in the midst of this event. You know, the Lord was blessing these bishops and honoring their desire 
to want to seek the Lord and to govern his church according to his will. But that's the only time. If you all had an angelic, I'm going to open it up. Anybody, you all have a time in your life where you feel like you had an angelic deliverance or an angelic vision? Okay, Anna? Get the microphone there. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't like seeing so much as just kind of feeling it. Mm-hmm. But it was when we were at, the, I think the first year I went to the pro-life march in D.C. Okay. And there was a, a small group <laughs> of us. Um, I was there with uh, Grace Beasley and and several other people. And we were, I mean, it was a large group for the C.C. So, like, yeah. probably, like, 50 of us. And I'm like, wow, this is so great. And then a, a group of, of um, you know, pro-abortion people came out and started chanting and trying to prevent us from praying uh-huh. started walking around us and chanting and it just it and it was really like you could feel a spiritual warfare in the air like i felt like there were angels and demons literally like waging battle over us because there were about as many pro-abortion people as there were us and so it mm-hmm. really felt like very strong and like i i didn't like see them necessarily but i mean it just felt like i was and it it, it almost sounded like i was in the yeah. middle of like you could hear clanging of swords almost, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. It's really weird. But when we went and joined, we left there after a while because we were on the steps of the Senate. or the, We were on the steps of one of the buildings and praying there. And um, we walked away and joined the, you know, big procession. Mm-hmm. And those people stayed there. And I remember feeling the presence of not just the multitudes of Christians that were with mm-hmm. me, but the multitudes of the heavens as we walked past them. And they just, I mean, they looked crushed, you know, with hmm. how many people showed up. And, like, there was a guy who, I, you know, we stood there and we prayed for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people were standing there praying for them as they were, like, trying to chant against them. But they couldn't, they mm-hmm. couldn't, you know, do anything because they were so overwhelmed by the, by the forces seen and unseen that it felt like the demons had just kind of, like, left. Amen. You know, and that and that there were multitudes, not you know, not just the ones that were there, but the ones that you know, you couldn't see. So, I don't know if it's seeing necessarily, but like, yeah, I could hear them and I could feel them. Excellent, that's fascinating. It's like one of the most intense experiences I think I've ever had. So. Wow, that's cool. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Wait, someone else? Anyone else felt like they have had an encounter or a sense of angelic protection or deliverance? Interesting. Okay. You think that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody wants the mic. <laughs> okay. I don't know if it counts, but uh, I've been protected a lot of times. Um, yeah. When things should have really hurt me, I didn't feel it at all. Like I was at UAB, and it was all encounters with my bicycle um, and other vehicles. Uh, but I had my foot run over by car. Really? I didn't feel it. There huh. was like, ran over my foot. I watched it happen, and then I was fine. And I was wearing Converse's, huh. so uh, canvas shoes. <laughs> wow! And then, um, another time, I t-boned a car and flipped over and landed on the other side just fine. My bike was fine. I was fine. I barely had a bruise. Wow! Amen. Amen. Angels guarding us. Uh, there's a text in Matthew where Jesus talks about. 
the little ones having an angel. Well, maybe if we have time later, I can cover that passage. But that's where we get the idea of guardian angels. And there is a role for them to bring protection and service to his people. Okay. Anyone else? It's interesting. Mine is really simple. It's a rain. Okay. My father was dying, and I went to use the telephone to call family. Okay. And uh, didn't have my purse. It was in my father's room. It was in the day of mm-hmm. pay phones. Pay phones, yeah. You got your recorders. And uh, <laughs> the waiting room was empty, and all of a sudden there was a woman there who handed me a quarter and never saw her. Yeah. And, you know, they say entertaining angels unaware. Yeah. And it was so simple. I mean, she didn't look supernatural. Yeah. But uh, it was just so extraordinary, you know, not there and then there and then not there that I can't help but think it was an angel. Amen. Amen. Good. Amen. Thank you. A similar thing with my grandmother. She was dying in uh, Medical Center East and the, I don't, can't remember all quite the details, but there was a particular condition she was having. And she was a great intercessor, like Dr. J was, just interceded and prayed. And uh, we were praying for her. I remember waking up in the middle of the night, telling uh, God telling me to pray for her, like at three in the morning. And what we found out later is a doctor walked in, uh, Indian or Asian descent, and walked in and said, oh, this is unusual. We don't normally prescribe this. Let me prescribe this. And they prescribed her and she revived. And uh, and she ended up living about two more years. But no one knows that who that doctor was. No one can identify or place him. And uh, yet he um, prescribed the correct medicine. And it was an unusual set of medicines that wouldn't, a doctor wouldn't normally prescribe. And so she lived in another two or three years. And I always felt like the Lord spared her. Because she was she was the intercessory core who kept the family together, and uh, and we all all felt the, those verses in the family felt like that it was some kind of angelic, as you say, entertaining angels unaware, some kind of angelic visitation of someone involved to save her life, because yeah, no one could figure out who it was, you know, who had ministered to her. So these are the kinds of things, these are the kind of encounters that. Uh, Many of you seen, and uh, in let me. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit just to kind of give context to what some of y'all have said. This is in Hebrews. This is the fa- uh, passage in Hebrews, and um, this is Hebrews chapter one, going into two. And um, there's a. Do um, we get on the? Uh, there was a, a belief in the ancient world of. Um, in the first century Judaism, a real high view of angels. Um, a lot of the ancient religions around Judaism had them, believed in them. Um, this is where your word cherub and things come from. And uh, But the some of the early Jewish believers had such a high view of angels that they were elevating them above Jesus. 
And so what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's taking each of these um, Jewish beliefs that often people held on to and showing that Jesus is better. Okay, the whole book, the whole argument of the letter of Hebrews is Jesus is better than. He's better than the temple. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. You know, he's better than the temple because he is the temple and he provides the way into God. He's better than Joshua because he provides a permanent rest, not just a rest of the land, but a rest of the heart. He's, uh, faith is better than works because Jesus has provided the way we trust in him. So this very first argument, this discussion, the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is better than angels because it was such a high view of angels. And we've seen this in our culture when it was at... Uh, Touched by an Angel was a very popular TV show for many years. I worked at Lifeway during that time, and we had angel stuff everywhere, gift items, pictures. You know, it, it was getting almost disproportionate, you know, out of proportion to its importance. But it, it was all kinds of shows and uh, even uh, spiritual writings uh, of uh, little books at Barnes & Noble of people saying they angels. So it kind of got out of control. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is he's, he's going through, uh, you probably see little uh, Old Testament scriptures that are being quoted if your Bible's laid out that way. And they're trying to show you that the writer of Hebrews is quoting uh, the Old Testament. And in um, verse 6, again, he who brings the firstborn into the world, that is the Father has brought the Son into the world as God incarnate. Let all God's angels worship him. And of the angels, he says, makes his angels wings as ministers flames of fire. So they're to be servants, and their goal is to worship, and they're worshiping Jesus. So obviously they're not better than Jesus if they're worshiping Jesus. Okay, so let's skip down to um, verse 14, chapter 1. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are inherit in salvation? It's a little bit difficult um, translation there. Let me just use the simplicity of the new living. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who inherit salvation. Okay. Some of those are, uh, the ministering spirits can be, uh, can, different connotations can go off in our minds. So I want to simplify it a little bit. Therefore, angels are only servants. Okay. And they're sent out to care for God's people. Who are God's people? The people who are looking to Christ for salvation. Okay? You all follow me? Verse 14, 14. Okay, so first of all, what the Scriptures is telling us is that they're here to serve the church and minister and bring life and help those who have come to Christ. Okay? And let me give you just a classic example of that. It's in Acts. Let's see which one we want to look at. I think it's 12 I want to look at. <clears throat> Yeah, it's 12, Acts 12. And we'll skip down to verse 6. Peter is rescued. Acts 12, 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out, and on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers and was bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know that he was being done. What was being done by the angel was real. But thought he was seeing a vision. 
Okay. So I imagine you would be if you're, you're if you're strapped to a wall, and when they do bind you like that, bound with two chains, they do it in a way. Uh, Romans did it away as a form of torture, so your your uh, muscles are spasming, okay, <clears throat> and you're in a lot of pain because your joints are being twisted. So you can imagine why he might think, am I having like a delusion or hallucination or something? Using modern language, you know, is this real? And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of his own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. So there's an angel who delivers him straight out of a prison and walks in past all the gates and opens all the doors. Yeah, it's an incredible experience, isn't it? I know I haven't examined it real close, but there's this... um, uh, I know it was, the book was going around in homeschool circles. It's called this, The Heavenly Man. If you all have seen that, it's, uh, I can picture it, and I can't think of his name right now. But they call him, he is the heavenly man. And he, it was about, the book is about a Chinese pastor who was in a maximum security prison, and he was angelically delivered out of this prison, and nobody can figure out how because of the, you know, it's just a maximum security prison, and the only way he could have gotten out, and he got out, was through some kind of angelic help. Okay. When Peter came to himself, I am sure that the Lord sent his angel and rescued him from the hand of Herod and from all that Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary and the mother of John, whose name was Mark, and many were gathered together and were praying. So this is one of the things we're going to see as a consistent theme is there is angelic action and uh, angels are working on behalf of the church as the people are God of praying. So in other words, your prayers are moving heaven. And as heaven is being moved, these uh, angelic forces are operating on your behalf to open doors, to uh, expand the kingdom and to push back the enemy. Okay, So prayer a lot of intercession will bring about a lot of divine activity. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Okay, so you kind of leave your guest at the door. You're so overwhelmed. Here you've been praying and interceding that the Lord would release him. You open the door and he's standing there. You're so shocked you close the door. <laughs> And go back in to tell them Peter's there, okay? Instead of inviting him in, okay? It's a, it's kind of a emotional shock that you're 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 praying and you're interceding, and then the answer to your prayer is standing right in front of your face, and you can hardly believe it. And so you you get this overwhelming, excited overreaction. They said to her, "You're out of your mind." See how much faith was going on in that prayer as we're praying for intercession and deliverance of Peter. But she kept insisting it was so, and they kept saying it's his angel. It was this uh, first century belief, of course, in guardian angels, and they thought, you're just seeing the angel that goes with him, or guards and protects him, you don't see him. But Peter continued knocking, and they opened, and they saw him, and were amazed. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers, and he departed and went to another place. This is a classic story of God working on behalf of his people, answering their prayers and sending supernatural deliverance so that they can be rescued. Okay. So um, let's turn to 
Daniel 8. I think, no, not Daniel 8. I want the other one. Yeah, I think it's Daniel 8 or maybe 10. Let's go. Let me go there real quick. Yeah, it's Daniel 10, verse 2. We'll just start there, and we won't read the whole thing, but I wanted to set up the story. Okay, Daniel, as you know, it, Daniel is the book, other than probably Ephesians, uh, that give us the clearest in, um, insight into what's going on in the so-called spirit realm or the heavenly places is the word I prefer. And... Um, because he's intercessing on behalf of a nation who's been taken in an exile, and their temptation is that God has forgotten us, and he's no longer keeping the covenant for us. And what the Lord's doing with Daniel is he's giving him insights into the future so that Israel can know as each of these great nations that's going to come past them, Persia, Greece, um, and Rome, uh, it's going to be Medes, Persians, Greece, and Rome, are going to go past them, they're not forgotten. Okay? And he will deliver them and bring them back to the promised land. And so Daniel's this man of intercession. And in verse 2, it says, In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that's Tigris, same river that's in Iraq today, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist, his body was a barrel, and his face was an appearance of lightning, his eyes were flaming torches, his arms and legs were the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words was like the sound of a multitude. So this is a startling vision of an angelic presence. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So they didn't see the person, but they felt this holy presence. I was left alone, and this is verse 8, and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So because angels are a slightly higher order than humans, they see God face to face. So when they make an appearance, the radiance of the glory of the Lord is usually on them. So it creates great fear within the human being who sees them because they're sensing and experiencing the holiness of God. Okay, so what you'll often see is uh, the person will then begin to worship the angel. You'll see this over and over again in Scripture. And then the angel will say, don't worship me, that worship God alone. Because all they're doing is reflecting the radiance and the holiness of the Lord to the person. They themselves are not the glory of the Lord. So usually the angel will instruct the person, don't be afraid, direct your worship. I'm just a creature, maybe a heavenly creature, but I'm just a creature Point your worship to the Lord. Okay? Verse 10, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. We see this in the life of Christ and his temptation with uh, angelic presence touching him and giving him physical strength. And he said to him, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken, you see this, the word angel in Greek is, is angelos, or it means messenger. Okay? 
Um, so they tend to look like human beings. In our mind, we do tend to vision them with wings. But this is a later medieval construct, okay? There are winged creatures in heavenly places like the seraphim and cherubim, but the Bible never describes an angelos or a messenger or malach in Hebrew as having wings, okay? Okay, but in from about the Middle Ages on, as you great painters like Raphael and people are in, and um, Michelangelo are painting, these wings become part of the image of angels and it becomes automatically associated in our mind, okay? O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, if you're not Daniel, from the first day you... This should be an encouragement to anybody who has a gift of intercession and is, has a prayer life. You, maybe you don't only get to pray a few minutes every day. I know since I've been back from furlough at Best Buy, the challenge just to pray and be able to be focused, I've never felt more challenged. And uh, just trying to set aside time and be focused, even if it's just 15 minutes, because I have worked, uh, worked so long. And he said to me, fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. Now, keep in mind, he started this three weeks ago in verse 2. But his words were heard on the very first day. Okay, so we I think people get discouraged in prayer because they don't see immediate results. But we think that we keep in mind is as soon as you're praying, answers are coming. You just may not be able to see them yet. And Daniel was praying for his people, interceding and fasting. And already on the first day, prayers are being answered. He's just not aware of it yet. Okay, and he says, uh, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what happened to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days to come. So this angel came to assist him. As he came to assist him, he began to be encountered by principalities and powers that Paul describes in Ephesians 6. They're demonic forces that hold territorial control and territorial spirits. And they try to control and keep people in darkness. Those who have traveled, you've probably sensed it. You can travel on one from one country to another and sit in an entirely different atmosphere. And it's not just because they have a different language, maybe, or a different culture. You can sense a spiritual difference. There's things that were tempting you here at home that stop being temptations when you travel to this new place. But suddenly there's a whole different set of temptations there that you hadn't experienced when you were here. Okay? These would be regional principalities and powers that try to keep people under oppression and keep them in bondage to sin. And you can feel it if you, those of you who have traveled to different countries probably have felt it. You can, I can feel it when I leave here to go to Florida. Okay? Just go from here to Disney World and you can tell the difference. Okay? It's a culture that's built on shallowness and, you know, and rides and fun, but it's not built for families that are living there long term. It's built for people to come in and to go out. Okay? So it's a whole different 
And, and when you live in a culture like that, there's a tendency to have shallowness in your relationships. Some of the pastors I've read who minister in Las Vegas and are trying to reach out to the people in a lot of the casinos and things mention how difficult it is to maintain a congregation in that kind of atmosphere because people are coming in and going out very quickly. They're getting hired, working in these uh, businesses, and then they're leaving and going and being promoted or whatever, going to other, a lot of these companies have multiple branches. They're coming in, they're leaving, and you might have a congregation of, I mean, we've been together a long time, but some of these churches will have a year and a half to two-year turnover. It won't, in other words, the people who started one year will not be there in two years, but it'll be a whole different set of people because there's so much turnover. That's part of the principality and power that's functioning in the area to keep people shallow so they don't ever enter into the depths of the relationship with the Lord. Okay. Those things can happen in a lot of tourist centers and tourist places, and it's hard to get churches established because of it. So you, here we are more settled, and we have Helena as a nice bedroom community, and people are planting roots, and so we can have some permanence. So there's a sense where the, the Lord has broken through. Okay, So in this instance, this principality and power is described as the prince of Persia, going to be later described as um, uh, uh, that's hovering or working. That's roughly where Daniel is ministering. Okay, So as the angels come to minister to Daniel, this principality and power called the prince of Persia is opposing him. And it was opposing him so much that the angel that's actually ministering to Daniel needed help. And so Michael, one of the angels, archangels, comes and assists him to defeat this prince of Persia so he can get to Daniel, so he can answer Daniel's prayers. And if that doesn't blow your mind, that things like that are going on around you. I mean, now Frank Peretti's books weren't perfect, and I wouldn't take my theology with them, but the one thing I appreciated, this present darkness and those, is it helped you to see there was a bigger world going on around you. Okay, It's not just, Paul says that your battles are not with flesh and blood, with the principalities and powers. So there's a larger warfare going on around you and to pray about and to ask the Lord to intervene about. Now, notice that Daniel's not praying to an angel. He's praying to the Lord and seeking the Lord, and the Lord's bringing the angel to bring help to him. Okay, And that's where some confusion lies in the charismatic movement. But you're praying to the Lord. Your focus is always on the Lord. The Lord uses the angelic presence to bring deliverance. So let's go back to verse 13. The prince of the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So that was the length of the time he was fasting. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I was there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what has happened to your people in the latter days, and the vision is for the days to come. And then he goes on to talk about uh, appearance of man and... Um, Another, he says, it's verse 18, and again, one having the appearance of a man touched me, so that's what an angel will look often like, a human being, but there would be a sense of glory and radiance about them. O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and good courage. So there's always the sense of encouragement, blessing, and strengthening with an angelic appearance. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So if you, those of you know your ancient history, uh, Persia was defeated by Alexander the Great, and Greece took over that area. 
Okay, so the angel saying we're defeated. The prince of Persia is going out, and now this demonic force of Greece is trying to enter in. I will go out. Behold, the prince of Greece will come, and I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these, except Michael, your prince. So there's Daniel is just being encouraged. He's being physically strengthened. He's being given insight into the spirit realm, and then these angels are there to minister to him physically. Remember, he hasn't eaten for three weeks. And he's being overwhelmed by the sense of their presence and their glory. And he's helping him to know that the people of God are not forgotten. Okay. This would be Israel's biggest struggle at this point. That's the story of Esther. It's a reminder. Though you're in exile, you're not permanently in exile. Though you had uh, brought judgment over you for your sinfulness and warning, and, uh, going after other gods but I'm going to keep my covenant promise, the Lord says, and I'm going to still be with Israel. I'm going to renew you and raise you up, and there is still build a Messiah who will put things right. But in the midst of that, I want you to know I am with you. And so you have this incredible sense of angelic presence and encouragement in the midst of great spiritual warfare. And as we've talked before, you know, there's, dark, there's some darkness on the horizon in our culture. We need to really pray and intercede. Um, there's some been religious freedom issues that's been decided in our favor over the last few years, and we're thankful for that. But notice a lot of those rulings were five to four. You're one person away for losing some religious freedom in our country. That's why it's important to intercede. That's why I think a lot of conservative politicians, they fight the fight and they speak the voice. But when they get so much opposition, they fold or they get into sin and immorality it's because they're forgetting or have forgotten or never knew that the fight they're fighting is a spiritual one, not just a political one. And that the enemy will do everything he can to oppose those who are standing against abortion, who are trying to expose darkness and the sin and immorality, who are trying to use the government in corruption. And they need to be aware that the enemy is going to do everything possible to come against them and oppose them. And one of the things they need to do is to be men and women of prayer, interceding and knowing and asking the Lord to give them strength because there's a larger warfare going on in our society and it involves demonic forces, principalities and powers. And they will need all the help that they can get and all the encouragement they can get. Okay. Now, there's uh, when I was first became a Christian in the early 80s. Well, actually, uh, been on the mission field, but I was still a young Christian. There was a young lady um, who came through, and her father had written a book, famous book called Angels on Assignment. And I looked it up last night on Google, and the books there actually you read it. And the family's basically made a ministry out of talking about his angelic visitations. And some of it concerns me, you know, when I heard it back then and, and I looked at it again last night. And so there is a temptation in some of our folks in our circles to, uh, especially charismatic circles, to kind of overdo it on the angelic thing. And um, so in Colossians, I just want you to be aware of the verse. Uh, I forget to write. No, 2.18. Let's see. 
There's people in the Colossi, uh, Colossi church. Colossi is not far from Ephesus. It's actually, if to use modern language, it's on the same freeway. Okay. It's got its own exit. Okay. And um, there are people who are flowing into that church, bringing some false teaching. And it's hard to discern exactly where they're coming from because we're only seeing one side of the letter. But it seems to be a mixture of some Judaism and some mysticism, maybe even some early Gnosticism. And verse uh, 2.16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, and with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. So there's some Jewish influence that's saying if you don't keep these particular feast days of the Jewish calendar, you can't be a Christian. Okay. There are shadow of the things to come, but the substance belonged to Christ. So these feast days, Passover and Tabernacles and Sabbath, were all pointing to something bigger, and they were pointing to Jesus. There's nothing wrong with keeping them, but you can't say if you don't keep it, you're not going to be saved. Okay, there's some Sabbatarian teaching. You know, even in our midst, there's a whole radio uh, network here locally that teaches that if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're not pleasing God, and therefore you're not saved. Okay, So Paul is saying the very opposite here. He's saying, yes, it's okay, just like we do keep Easter or Christmas, but you don't say, if you don't keep Easter and Christmas, you can't be a Christian. Okay, The issue is, who do you look to? Who do you believe in? Who do you have faith in? It's about Christ. Everything points to Christ. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. So there's always trends in our culture not so much in this culture. We tend to um, side on the uh, area of excess, but there were in the ancient world and other cultures. There's a tendency is you're, the more the, le- the more strenuous you are on yourself, the less you eat, the less fun you have, the less things you have, uh, the more spiritual you become. Okay, that's what asceticism means. It means you're doing without in order to be more spiritual. He says, be careful about those folks. Because that doesn't deal with the heart. That's just outward issues. But notice the next phrase. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, to whom is the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with a growth that's from God. So if you hear it, turn on the TV and you're maybe on Trinity or something like that, or you're at a charismatic meeting and there's some prophetic voices there. And they mentioned some angelic uh, appearances that they had, and they can be very legitimate appearances. Just remember, if they go into a lot of detail and the detail that they're describing, the appearance they're describing that they've had doesn't point to Jesus and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, then you may want to say, wait a minute. You know, this might not be the best story. This might not be the best teaching. Okay. I've heard people go on and teaching about angels for an hour and never mention Jesus. Okay. So he's saying, be careful with those who get in a lot of detail, talking a lot about their experiences. But a lot of these false teachers are not holding on to Christ. They're just using the experience as a way of getting attention and ministry attention. Okay. We do know that there are falling angels and that they will come under judgment in Second Peter 2.4. But we're just really thankful that the Lord does have work on our behalf. And uh, they're messenger from God. They're human in appearance. 
And as I mentioned before, there's no wings except with the cherubim and seraphim. So what do we want to come away with with some of these texts? We know from Nehemiah 9, 6, and we won't turn to it right now, but if, if you want to know, Nehemiah 9, 6 talks about that the principal purpose of angelic presences is to worship God. The Lord created them. They're in hosts in the heavenly places, and they're worshiping the Lord. So first of all, what we want to talk away with is angels are real. There is a supernatural world out there, and these angels are there to serve his church. Okay. Number two, uh, angels are uh, to be, um, I can't even read my own handwriting. I must have been tired. Angels um, remind us that a supernatural battle is going, being fought, all around us okay so if you're in the midst say you're you're having trouble with your boss don't just only pray for your boss but pray the lord would deal with the supernatural battle that's going on around them and why this is happening and what the enemy's trying to stir up and let ask the lord to deal with that okay not just on a human level but on a supernatural level and then thirdly we take away maybe we should look at that verse and we'll close with this nehemiah 9 6 because it's so important. It's not the easiest verse to get to. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Okay. What's that? Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Kind of right after the Kings and Samuels and Chronicles. (laughs) Page 511 in my Bible. And I have the Bible. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, Nathaniel, Nehemiah 9.6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts. So host, whenever you see that word, is a little bit old-fashioned, but it means armies. Okay. So you are the Lord, you alone, you made the heavens and the heaven of heaven. So you're the creator and you not only made the earth, but you made the spiritual realm or the supernatural realm or the heavenly realm. And you made all these spiritual beings, these angelic beings and the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. Okay. If y'all, any of y'all are doing none of those Bible project things, I've encouraged you some of the Bible project classes. Tim talks about that, but there's the waters, there's the dry land, and there are heavens. That's the way the Bible looks at the world. And here Nehemiah is reminding us he's built the heavens, he's just built the dry land and the waters underneath. And you preserve all of them. You hold them in your hand. The host of heaven worships you. So the armies, the angelic armies of heaven worship the creator God. Okay. So you can see their first and foremost goal and desire is to worship the Lord. So if someone's describing an angelic visitation, it may involve deliverance. It may be given strength in the midst of a spiritual battle. Uh, but also know that, that that experience should point you to the worship of the Lord. Okay. And, we, and when there's a lot of divine activity, there's always a lot of angelic presence, like in Daniel. Okay, there's that's real important with the exile. Where else is it important? The birth of Christ, where you see more angels just popping up. All these announcements is the birth of Christ, Mary and Elizabeth, and so forth. All these angelic presences, and then where else? The Book of Acts. We see more angelic. I have only only mentioned one. There's at least three or four more 
of angels working on behalf of the church as it's growing and advancing the gospel. So if anything, with the angels, we should be encouraged. We shouldn't be just totally negative, uh, cynical. There is uh, genuine experiences of angelic presences working on behalf of the church. We recognize there'll be some false teachers out there who are playing on this. But we, you know, we can know and we can discern if this experience that they're sharing is exactly, uh, worshiping God, exalting Jesus, and advancing his church. And it's a genuine experience from the Lord. Okay? Any questions? Thoughts? Okay. There's a lot more in Scripture. I, you know, I could do a five or six part series, you know. But maybe that t- uh, touches on it and helps you. There's a new book by that guy, Michael Heisner. His, it's called Angels. It's put out by Lexham Press. So if you want to go a little deeper, he's going to go a lot deeper uh, with it. But that's the crux of it. And to, to be encouraged today as a church to know the Lord is with you. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we're just reminded today just how um, we live in a supernatural world and remind ourselves that there's a spiritual battle going on around us and help us to remember that our prayers affect that battle. And we pray, Lord, help us to give us the gift of intercession so that we can intercede with even more power and boldness to know that our prayers can affect things on earth, can affect things in the spirit realm to affect things on earth. We pray, strengthen us, Lord, in the spirit of prayer. In Jesus' blessed name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.